0: ritual is to the soul as food and drink is to the body.
1: Hello and welcome to the Life on This podcast. That was our guest, Tiu dehan who is a ritual designer, creative facilitator and idea doula. James and I, uh, we've spoke to this midwife of creativity about the power of rituals. There are ideas in this uh, podcast which can be applied to business, uh, your creative projects, grief, and much more. Uh, And uh, to go and connect it to lifefulness, uh, rituals most closely correspond to the second pillar of lifefulness. That's the idea of finding celebration and contemplation in your life. That's our translation of the idea of worship what do you worship? When do you worship it? When do you go and connect to what's most important to you? Rituals are so like a vital tools for that. And this podcast was, I love doing it because I go and often hang out with people I've known for a long time and find out even more about them. And in the opening question with Tia, I found something out about her which makes so much sense uh, and really had me see her in a whole new light uh, and it also really helped me understand how she is able to translate sort of creative and esoteric spiritual ideas into the language of the 21st century, uh, into the language of the business world as it is. Uh, it will soon become clear why she's worked with Google, the World Economic Forum, the UN, L'Oreal and many more, uh, taking in these uh, sort of ideas of rituals and sacredness. Uh, and uh, well, before we get on to the podcast... If you love the ideas in this conversation and want to delve into them deeper, then check out the Lifefulness community. The link is underneath this podcast, lifefulness.io forward slash membership. Uh, We meet online for group coaching sessions twice a month and explore these life-changing ideas. Uh, That's about it. I'm going to get out of the way and welcome to you, Dahan. Welcome to the Life on This Podcast. It's me, Sanderson, and we're interviewing Tiu dehan who always has got great ways of describing what she does. She is a creative mentor, idea doula, and ritual designer. I'm going to say that idea doula, that's the first time that I've heard uh, that combination of words. Tiu, how on earth are you?
0: I'm very well indeed. Thank you, Sanderson. It's lovely to see you. And can I say, I have necklace envy. It looks like you are the leader of a cult, which, of course... I am naturally going to be following and I covet your jewellery. Just want to make that very clear.
1: Well, thanks. It is a uh, uh, audio medium, but I will let people know <laughs> that I saw T.U.'s website and I was like, you know what? Sometimes as I'm doing a sort of non-religious church, I sometimes think you've got to keep it a bit on the inside. <laughs> Otherwise, people will think, particularly I like big, colourful <laughs> outfits, people will think cult or a word quite similar to that. <laughs> uh, and... uh And, but then I thought I'm going to go black polar neck with uh, trippy sort of uh, jewelry on top for whatever look that.
0: A large triangle of of focus, of input. Yeah, Mm. definitely. Yeah. I can feel
1: the energy (laughs) is starting to build up. And today, guys, I've got uh, in my underpants four of my most powerful crystals. So uh, (laughs) watch out, podcast listeners. You're going to get charged (laughs) up. So to you, we're going to talk all about the work that you do because we've known each other a long time. We have. You do such fascinating things in, turning some ideas, which can sometimes seem uh, a little bit abstract or mm-hmm. far away into like really useful things, which get accepted into sort of the world of business and you're you know, able to go and not disguise them, but suddenly present them in a way that people can really find useful. And uh, we're gonna kick off though. Great. The question which is, uh, what was the religious or spiritual or philosophical background to your childhood?
0: Oh, this is something I don't often reveal because people immediately go, Colt! So... (laughs)
1: Are you sure they're saying cult?
0: (laughs) I'm literally positive. I was brought up, my mum was a mystic. She had a very strong spiritual experience when she was in her early 20s and spent the rest of her life seeking all sorts of explanations for it. She wasn't religious, but she was drawn to quite radical spiritual inquiry and she took me with her. So I was the youngest kid in the family and I was there beside her through all sorts of different interesting things, including uh, becoming a devotee of Osho. So I was an really? Osho kid. Yeah, this is the thing I don't normally tell.
1: Oh, but Osho is Osho is the rebranding of someone we're a bit more familiar with, the Rajneesh. He's the, he's Mr. Wild Wild Country.
0: That's right. You seen the Wild Wild Country series on Netflix? That was about the about the community, it wasn't about him so much as around the story that when it all went very wrong. Um, and he was in the eighties. We were known by the sun as the orange people, and it was, uh, it was, uh, yeah. So there was, So I was at the age of six. Um, learned to meditate. Learned to uh, embrace my playfulness as a spiritual path. See, I have a very positive experience of it. I Have to say. Not everybody did, but I was also... But lots then. and lots
1: of people did have yeah. really great experiences. Totally. Like, you see, Wild Wild Country. And just for a bit of context for our listeners, that like Osho was the name, the, the guy who people might know from the Netflix series Wild Wild Country, where people went to... Oregon, I think, and then they went and built a whole commune, and then they mm. got guns, and the FBI got involved, and people got poisoned. I
0: wasn't involved in any of that. I just no, wanted no, to no, flag no. that up right now. <laughs>
1: And then he re- he went and sort of rebranded as Osho. That's the sort of phase of his life. No,
0: I was before Oregon. So I was a little, oh. kid. yeah, no, I was a kid. I'm very old, Sanderson Jones. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I became a sannyasin, I was six. Sannyasin is the name for spiritual seeker. And um, it was a choice. I was not in any way shepherding into it. I wanted to become one. I did. My mum did. My dad didn't. My sister didn't. It was a kind of, I was actively involved and actively engaged in it. And for me, it was actually a fantastic way of being around super creative, open hearted, playful, curious adults who really respected my particular expertise in being six. They were like, wait, hang on, how do you do what you do? I was like, really? Do you want me to tell you? And they're like, yes, we don't like, okay. So I started in my present career in a way back then when they're going, how can we have a massive water fight? I'm like, well, let me tell you. And <laughs> <laughs> how can we build an enormous den out of meditation cushions? <laughs> don't worry. I can let you know exactly. And so I had this incredible experience of these very embodied, relaxed, physically engaged, loving, funny, smart people. This was my experience. And also all of it was grounded in a very close relationship with my mom. So she never kind of neglected me and let me run ra- ragged being kind of feral. As some of the parents did. And it was it was a very different experience for some other kids. She and I were super close. And so I ended up being often the only child in meditation groups, in in encounter groups. There were also things I did not go to, but I was I didn't go to the full on crazy, sexy encounter group. No, no, none of that.
1: Because that would actually be quite sad as you are six.
0: I was definitely completely protected from all of that. But I was around a, um, a kind of radical spiritual inquiry. That was one thing that was going on at the same time concurrently. My mom was very involved in a very different thing, which was called Insight Seminars, which is still running, which is an aware, a heart and awareness training that came out of, uh, you know, kind of Californian sort of personal development stuff. No, in no way at all, like the Osho stuff. There was no leaping. There was no wearing red and orange. There was no, none of that. It was very, it was based on psychology, but it was heart, it was heart connected. So I had both going concurrently. And I so I was surrounded by a really interesting spiritual education. And I was also just a kid growing up in London, going to regular school. So I had the whole thing grounded in this sort of reality that and would occasionally go to Swedish church because my mum grew up in Sweden. Although I didn't understand a word. I was just there for the cinnamon buns. Sanderson. As I tell you what, the the cinnamon buns in the Swedish church are worth going to church for. Just top tip.
1: As is the, the sauna. So in the Finnish church in <laughs> London, there is you can rent out a sauna to yourself what? for £20 an hour. <gasps> it's where I went on my first date with my wife.
2: Oh my Wait, God. you Did took you? your now wife to a sauna for a first date? Yeah, I know, mate. I,
1: this is this is how you get in the a church, uh,
0: special though, in a shirt. In a
1: shirt, that's how you get the special <laughs> triangle necklace. No, so she said she was going on a holiday, and she's like, wow. and uh, she was like, and she had to be in Sweden, and she was like, I'm really going to miss the, uh, the saunas. And I just thought, well, you know what? There's a I know a really good uh, sauna. Which uh, w- let's go. I, I thought we were all going to be able to go. There'd be a group of us. And then I realised it was twenty quid for an hour. I was like. Yeah. Anyway, fun. It was weird. We ended up putting more clothes on as the date went on.
0: (laughs) Is there a mention of Jesus? Like, is there a Bible? Are you supposed to be feeling sinful for being Uh, unclothed? No, no, no. It's just
1: Finnish. It's Finnish people love saunas, and there's no good ones in London. Next question we're going to ask you is uh, what is, if you were to look at religion or spirituality as a whole, what would be like one lesson, one technique, one practice that you think the secularised world or the world as we're in at the moment could learn from it?
0: You might expect me to say this because I am a ritual designer, but I'm just going to say the thing you probably are expecting, which is to make sacred moments of experience, to, to deliberately delineate experience as a creative act and turn an experience into something that is exalted in some way or meaningful in some way or, or transporting in some way or simply distinct from the rest of the experience of the mundane of your constant stream of work and life and stress and screens and kids and da, 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 all the rest of it when you when you treat experience itself as something sacred and you turn your attention to creating those experiences that right there I think is is worth lifting from all religions and also it goes beyond religion it just goes to appreciation and creation and um, curation I think of our own lived experience. So that's my answer to you. I could come up with a few others, but that's the one I'm going to start with here. You're
2: speaking Sanderson's language now. Look how hard he's vibing with what you were saying. He's,
0: I mean, again. I am. My hands got in <laughs> yep. the air. I
1: was just, I was even writing in my Hoot Suite about how we, the problem is we trivialize these things, which are so important. Like everything we do is freighted with meaning and possibility. The fact that we're alive and able to breathe is a fucking orgasm of the mind. Like, how on earth can we? be and not have everyone just going fuck 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 (laughs) this is happening it would be annoying in lots of situations part of me just wants to have the podcast of just just to be a place you could listen to to just like really get into that vibe but maybe we start a bit more practical what is a ritual like how do you go and define
0: that sure Um, so there's a ritual definition, which I have used before and I gave a TED talk. So I'm just going to repeat it because it's a useful way of explaining it. I did a whole TED talk called why we still need ritual. I did it six years ago. Um, And it's it's from the heart. It's also quite sad. It's got it's got a a very personal story about my mother's death in it. And so don't watch it as a kind of yay. It's what is supposed to make you cry. Has been known to make grown men cry, even on dating apps. But that's another conversation. Um, How do I define a ritual? Um, I define it as here we go. Okay, so imagine you go into an art gallery. In fact, for those of you who are actually seeing the the video of this, behind Sanson's head, there are framed pictures. And those frames distinguish the content of the frame from the rest of the wall, right? There's white wall and then there's a frame. And you know, because there's a frame, that inside that frame, you're supposed to give that a different kind of attention. You're supposed to see that as having been deliberately created. So if you imagine you take that frame off the wall and you make it invisible and you make it amorphous and you fill it not with an image, but with time and space and a particular sensory combination. So it might be particular sounds or particular quality of silence. It might be a particular um, sight and sound. You might have music. You might have poetry. You might have candles. You might have colours. You might have particular tastes. You might have particular smells. You give it a very clear boundary. You make it a very clear beginning and an end. And in it, you get creative about what it is that you're making meaningful. That is a ritual. So if you kind of take a moment and turn it into an art form, and I, it usually a ritual will be for a point of transition of some kind. Not always, but but usually a ritual is a, you start in one state and you end it in a different, it, different state. You go from... Say, for example, the ones that we're all familiar with, like weddings and funerals. So a wedding is where two people in a committed relationship with each other, there's no doubting that they're in a relationship that is supposed to last. They turn into something else. The actual ritual that happens in the middle, they become a family. They become joined. They become bonded by invisible intention and by witness from their community and sometimes by their families committing acts of of generational handing over or some kind or offering something that changes them forever. With a funeral, it's the last time that you get to be with the body of the person that has died. So you can have memorials, you can have all sorts of different kinds of um, rituals around anniversaries of deaths or centenaries or whatever, but a funeral is where you go from the person is physically in your community to saying goodbye to that. And you're with the coffin in some form, usually. So it's the last time that all of the friends and family are physically together with the dead person. And then after that, they've said goodbye to that person. They're staying with the ephemeral. So it's, those, are ush, those are the big ones. But we have rituals around waking, sleeping, cleansing, eating, traveling, moving house, which I know is pertinent to you, starting the day, ending the day. Um, and when we lack them, which we often do because they're so often conflated with religion, and if we're not religious, we don't don't have them, Then, then we often have a feeling of something not being met, some emotional transition not being held. Like, I don't know if you sort of equated the vigils that have been happening with rituals, but the whole recent spate of rituals that have been happening for the memory of Sarah Everard's tragic death and all of the people affected by that, All over the place, there's this vast amount of emotion. And the only way to meet it is by having a ritual. There are not religious rituals. They're women, primarily, coming together with flowers and candles and silence in order to be with the emotion that would otherwise not have any space. It doesn't work if you're in a Twitter shitstorm. It doesn't work if you're on Facebook. Like, you don't get the same emotional nourishment of ritual there's, there's a teacher of mine, she's, she's dead now. Her name is Somé. She was the ritual keeper of the Dagara tribe of West Africa. And she said to me, ritual is to the soul as food and drink is to the body. It is how we get nourished. So those moments of vigil and nourishing something that no amount of blogging or speaking or unwrapping it with our friend's cult could ever meet there's something about coming together in a moment of meaning that we decide to make intentional together that affords us the space for emotion and transition and sometimes celebration not always but um, uh, it's a it's a container for these nebulous invisible things that we are so hungry to feel and express
2: that is such a beautiful definition of ritual. I love your use of the idea of the picture frame to kind of set out an area for special attention and consideration. I wanted to ask you a question about something you said at the beginning, too, about making sacred, because that's a word that means a lot of different things, different people. So I was wondering what it means to you to make something
0: sacred. It's a great question. It's something about Uh, elevating it out of the ordinary and invoking something other, something bigger. It doesn't have to be religious or or even spiritual. It could just be um, transforming something into having more meaning than it does without that sanctity around it. There was a great Liz Gilbert podcast. You know, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love and uh, Big Magic, which Big Magic is one of my favorite books on creativity. And she spoke about, I've suddenly gone completely blank. Who's the bloke who wrote the golden bell anyway one of the great teachers of our time whose name has just escaped me sorry um, who basically in an interview said in order to make anything ritualized you just draw a circle around it so take your watch off put it on a piece of paper draw a circle around the watch and you've suddenly turned your watch into a different object and that circle <laughs> is an extraordinary idea you just put you go my transition from sleeping to waking I'm just gonna put a circle around it. I'm just gonna make it, I'm not just gonna go straight onto Twitter. I'm not just gonna rush out the door. I'm gonna put a circle around it, even if that is 10 seconds big, you know? You just make it so that you're putting something specific answer to your question. The thing that you're invoking is the meaning and the intention and potentially the ineffable, the the bigger idea or thinking behind it. It doesn't have to be a deity, it doesn't have to be a tradition so it could be the difference between going for a walk and going on a pilgrimage um it's not this like one of the things that i often have to grapple with when i'm talking about ritual people always misuse the word to mean repeated behavior they say my morning coffee is a ritual it's not It's a morning coffee. My shower is a ritual. And that's one of the ways I describe the differences. When you're making something sacred, you're elevating it from a routine into a ritual. When you're giving it meaning and intention. And for me, sacred is to do with awe and vastness and something bigger than just me and my mundane reality. That doesn't have to be a deity. I don't have a god. Um, I have a cat called Zeus. He's my personal deity. It's all about Zeus frankly, basically.
1: That's the number one reason why we wanted to speak to you because you do have direct access to an ancient Greek it's deity. literally
0: underneath cool. the laptop right
1: <laughs> now. This is quite an interesting thing because like, I'd love to get really practical on like how, you know, what does this look like in people's lives? Like you're, you go into businesses, there's all manner of ritual. I, I, I see it more as a sliding scale than a, like that's a ritual, then that's not a ritual. Because there's like some which are Sort of a bit more formal. Then there's some which are informal. Around my shower, I always enjoy like little finessing of it. I make sure that when I get in, that it is. uh, I have the water on cold. When I also get out, the water is also cold, and I have that for quite some time. I do that whilst I'm striking my body and might be screaming as well. Not so super hard, but certainly it's pretty weird. My wife sometimes on a work call. People, people upstairs have been known to say, "Why did you scream in the shower?" Uh, and I see the one <laughs> about, uh, and at the end, it is about like just celebrating life and just really coming into awareness. And it becomes symbolic of of the act of making meaning. I do this in this place as something to make meaning, and then like the physical sensation of being cold does health things but it also goes and freezes your mind literally but goes and just gets you into the moment and there's bits which I do more or less on various days fucking love it like sometimes I get out of the shower and I haven't done the cold bit And I'll get back in the shower, even though I'm quite dry, to just go and do that because it is very meaningful to me. Where would you put that on the ritual? I'd say that's ritualised versus non-ritual.
0: For me, the bit that matters is the meaning that you're putting on it. If you're making the cold water and the slapping and the shouting and the freaking your wife's Zoom call people out, the point of it, then that would be to me the piece that would potentially be the ritual, just having a kind of face slap, that's not a ritual, that's a routine. So it's the meaning that you put in it. So there's, for example, there's a grief ritual, which you can do in the shower, which which is quite, an, a, a, this is a useful one to throw in just because it's um, it's an example. When we have a huge amount of pent up emotions, which most of us do at any given time, and not really any kind of societally acceptable way to release them, this is a piece of kit actually came from Sabon Fusoma who I name checked before she taught this in one of the things that I did with her you take into the shower with you a bowl and in that bowl you put salt water and as you're having the shower you express any emotion that you need to express including crying or raging or ranting or grieving or anything and you and as you do it you're doing it at the bowl So as you're having the water rinse your body clean, you're letting the emotions come out. And at the end of your shower, you pour the water in the bowl away. And that there is perhaps a delineation between just having a shower when you're feeling crap and having a cry and turning that bowl of water into something which takes it away, which gives you release. So in answer to your question... It definitely sounds like a ritualised shower, but you could, the more meaning you put on your yowling.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of meaning put in, gone into it, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yes, but that's where the difference is. It's like the difference between wine o'clock, which a lot of people think of as a ritual, like end of the day, crack open the bottle of wine, and having Holy Communion, where those that believe think they're actually drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is, you're just drinking wine. But it but wine o'clock is a ritual a, a, a it's called a ritual and it's not it's a routine it may indicate the end of a working day or the start of girl chat time but that's not the same as having communion do you see what I mean it's like it's it's a shame to kind of conflate all of these things into one. And also brands often do that to try to get you to engage in repeated behavior that you associate with a product. And and you get brand rituals, which are not. They're just routines.
1: Now, what would be some things where some, some really common rituals and obviously different people are going to have different meanings and all the rest of it. But like, how can people make this happen in their lives?
0: OK, so. In business, one of the things that often happens is we don't actually have a meaningful connection with the people we work with. We often come, we crash into meetings full of stresses and strains and difficult things that are going on. And 80% of ourselves is outside the room or maybe more or less. But, you know, you're not actually connecting. So there's um, when I have worked with teams, my own teams, I have always had a policy, quite a strict one of putting quite a chunk of time at the front each person to be able to share uninterrupted without feedback or conversation to come out of it about anything that is going on in their life and to understand that there is a complete confidentiality within that and time it three minutes is enough eight minutes if you're doing really intense work like if you're if you're working in a kind of in something that is quite heavy and you need some more space but if it's just a doing what you're doing three minutes I'll do it with absolutely everybody I work with and it's three minutes of uninterrupted time just to go. This is what's happening. And often, what comes out in that time is actually, I had a really bad night's sleep, or my granny's really sick, or I think I might be falling in love, or I'm really full of sausages, or something that is yeah, any all number of, of them. things. Absolutely all of the living above. large. <laughs> or my kid is sick and I'm stressed about it. Or I'm really excited because da da da. And when you can share all of those things, when it comes having spoken it. You basically start the day with everybody going, oh, actually, OK, do we need to handle the fact that you might need to go and deal with your sick kid? Or is your granny all right? Do you need any support? Or how exciting? Show us who you're falling in love. You know, there's any number of things that can then later in the day inform how you manage your life. But if everybody has the permission to be that open and you structure it into the beginning of something, you're starting in a way that allows for for more authenticity and connection and humanity in whatever the task is that you're about to go and do it's quite an ask in terms of time for me depending on the kind of work you're doing anyway for me it's absolutely crucial
1: I know in the past you've done celebranting already a lot of this stuff there are certain activities which sort of like in inverted commas work (laughs) and then what you can do is then go and bring different meanings onto them which I think is like something which is for instance if in a company which is like We're all about transparency. You can start that and say, Well, actually, like, I really think it's like it's about transparency. And if it's like about connection, you can go and like actually be really flexible about, you know, from your company values or whatever it might be that you want to bring about. And then go and find like some sort of like ritual mechanism which works and will help you accomplish that.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I think companies often don't necessarily do is give clear endings to things like you might come to the end of a project and you might feel like you had this huge thing and then you just quickly go straight on to the next one so i quite like a viking funeral
2: i'd like one too that's what i want
0: so but viking funerals for ideas or for projects or for chapters or anything so you literally set fire to shit i mean you can make a paper boat i have done this for my own my own business when it was in transition have you shot a paper boat with an arrow no I have not, but I have set fire to a paper boat with a sparkler and a candle. Yeah, so
2: mini Boromir, not the full experience.
0: Boromirini! Um, (laughs) Yeah, you you make a boat out of paper that is, if you like, decorated with the words of whatever this thing was, and you can take it down to the water, and you stick a sparkler in the top, and you go that was intense, it is now done, what do we learn, what do we not learn? You set fire to the thing and you watch it float off. It sounds silly, but it gives you a a punctuation in the constant stream of stressful work life. And if you don't have those punctuations, you don't ever stop and pause and reset and recalibrate and also rest sometimes is necessary between things, but that's another conversation. But you have these moments, and also a funeral for a bad idea, I like that one. If you've had ideas that you've <laughs> you've never really let go of but they've like they're lingering around like a bad smell, have a funeral for a bad idea. Go that just really shouldn't have happened or didn't happen and Anyway, let's all, let's give, let's, let's say a few words. Let's stand over, let's bury something, let's set fire to something. Let's. What's
1: the bad idea which is kick, ticking around your mind at the moment? <laughs> I don't have any. Who never has bad, no ideas. bad
0: ideas? <laughs>
2: no,
1: no bad ideas in brainstorming. That's the one thing you learn. She's an idea
2: doula. She doesn't have bad ideas. She loves them all. I'm an idea equally. doula. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But no, but to that point, so that's a really, so I do have bad ideas, but they tend not to come into being like that. So, so, and
2: you abort them basically.
0: Basically, but no, but honestly, I mean, we're, we're joking, but this is kind of what I do. So what my, the way I work is when an idea occurs to somebody, like it could be, I know I want to do this podcast, or I think I want to start a business, or I have an idea for an album, or I want to write a novel, or, I want to do something. There's a period where this idea has all sorts of bright, shiny possibilities, and it's almost hovering around the ether, and it doesn't necessarily. Come through into reality. Okay, there, there, there's a sort of there's a period where ideas. I'm sure that you've had plenty that have not come into the world because often it's as if we're being visited. It's almost dreamlike. You have this kind of oh my god, that's genius, and then poof, and it's gone. So the trick is, if you are visited by one that you want to energize, that you want to bring into the world, it could be any number of different things, and it's going to. And I do follow through on this idea of going. It is visiting you. So you are being visited by a conscious entity that is showing up as an idea. I mean, obviously, this is not literally true, but it's, it's, the, it's the way I work with it. So this idea lands and then it's up to you to create the fertile space in which it can grow and become what it's supposed to become. And your job as the creator is to be the Womb, if you like, or the garden for the seed to sprout in. You're not the seed. You're not the baby. You're just going, What do I need to do to bring you into being? And you create the conditions that will allow it to grow and thrive. And our job as creators of any kind, I think, is to be really good hosts to our ideas and to do, to get out of the way and to let them come through us and out into the world and to be good parents, basically. To, to these creatures that want to come into being and sometimes we thwart our own progress by getting in the way of it or we don't give it the nourishment and the space and time and energy and healthy sunlight that it needs in order to thrive we we stop our flow and we and it and it dwindles if you're not giving it the energy and space and time that it needs it will not come to pass and that's okay but sometimes it's not
1: okay. I mean, I think there's something fascinating for uh, sort of people like James, myself, and, and you, uh, and maybe some people listening to this podcast, or maybe right now you're just smashing your head against your phone and wondering why on earth you subscribe. Don't do that. Your <laughs> phone is expensive and your brain is fragile. But I think that creativity is one of those places where the language of spirituality, you know, the the muses, you know, these ideas, like the, it. Like when you've got an idea, it feels as though it is something which is outside you sometimes. It just suddenly turns up. And so those things where you go, and for some people, it genuinely will be a, they will think that it is a conscious being sort of visiting them, but it can certainly feel like that. And one of the reasons I think it's really useful to go and look at spiritual practices and try to learn from them is that what they've done is like allow humans to get in touch with Creative spirit, which is within us. This is my secular reading of it of like these things. If you do these practices, you will learn to develop. Like, I can't help but move my body right now because it's just like you'll learn to develop a force within you, which will feel as though it's outside you. And it can be like, Amazingly fertile, and things will just seem to come out of it, and it will it will feel like a present sometimes. And and I, I get like that. I'm atheist down to my core, but uh, I happen to just to be a big hippy dippy scientific atheist spiritual man who's gone and created a niche which no one else is in. These practices are so useful for like cultivating that sense. And if you do, it can just you feel like you've got another person on your team.
0: Exactly, and then you can put yourself in proper placement in relation to it. Rather than it becoming all about you on your shoulders, you can go, what do I need to do to serve you? There's one of my online courses is called Birth Your Creative Project. And in it, there's a guided meditation. There's two, in fact, where you get to meet your project. Like you literally go, what if my project were able to appear in front of me, not as the book cover of the novel i'm writing but as its energy would it be humanoid or would it be a swirl of butterflies or would it be a brick wall or would it be a planet or would it be a super intelligent shade of blue you won't know until you ask you know and then when you kind of basically get into this imaginative expansive exercise you're going what are you like if the lifefulness podcast were a were an entity would it have your face? It might do, or I mean, we don't need to do it right now. I, I don't want you to. Try- oh
2: my god, this is getting a horror story now. Be careful! <laughs> <laughs> it it's all those crystals. I
0: think it does. <laughs> but so you get in touch with this thing, going, "What is this thing that wants to come into the world? It's not just you. It's all these voice. It's a particular combination. It is obviously sonic primarily. That's its that's its dominant sense, if you like. It has some sort of digital aspect I mean I don't know you would know when you go into it but the point of it is that it is a kind it has a quality as is distinct from other things that you've created if you were to do the same exercise with Sunday Assembly for example it would have a very different identity right and so when you engage with these ideas as if they had some sort of quality you can also start to interrogate what might they want to become? Like, what would they want to do next? Like I've always loved the authors who describe their writing process as listening to something that starts to tell itself. Like I remember Philip Pullman, I love Philip Pullman. And he, when he was writing his Dark Materials trilogy, he said he would just get stuck and he'd go and sit in a particular museum in Oxford and in their cafe and wait. And basically the characters would start to tell him what they wanted to do next. And that was how he would get past blocks. He didn't come at it from a sort of, I'm going to control and decide everything. He's like, I'm going to listen to where this wants to, he didn't know where it was going to end up. He didn't have the whole thing mapped out. So when you have that humility, not only is it liberating, but it becomes this sacred experience. And for me also, my creativity and my spirituality are very closely entwined. I feel most alive, I think, when I have that kind of creative flow going on. And it's, I don't have a religion so for me that is there's something about the create the aspect of creation that is both humanoid and natural and vast and beyond our understanding all go right the way through from you making a podcast through to galaxies being born it's the same sort of essence right so for me those things are where my my Engagement is. And my personal creativity has changed a lot over the years. I used to be a musician. I used to be a singer songwriter. I don't make music anymore. I've done various different things, but now my medium is these moments, these experiences. I don't narrow it. I haven't written a book, you know, I haven't, I have, but I probably will one day, but they haven't kind of narrowed down into these tight things. I create the experiences that allow other people to create their own. So, hence the idea, Dula label. It's like, Ashley, yeah. I'm, I'm the mate of the ideas. I go, ah, there's an idea that wants to come through. Let me help you.
1: We're just going to take a little break there to hear some words from our sponsors. And today, the sponsors of The Life on this podcast are, yes, the concept of gratitude. Gratitude itself. Uh, this is inspired by TU. Uh, we're just going to quickly do a gratitude exercise right now. So oh, this is what we're doing. So whatever you can see right now, Just look at it and just find a reason to be grateful for it. It might be something you've seen a million times, but just to look at it and think about all the different myriad ways that it serves you, that you can appreciate it. You have really exercise that appreciation muscle. Give a workout for your wonder and just look at what is great in what you already have. I'd love us to get back to that thing of like moments. Like, can you think of any other like moments which you've got questions around about how you could create rituals or how this can go and be applied into people's lives? I always want to make sure we get back to that.
2: So I love this idea of the waking up and the going to sleep, the transitions, because it's transitions from different places, different states, different activities that I think often are worth marking. And I'm wondering about a going-to-sleep ritual. I'm not a good Go to sleep I'm not great at sleeping, getting good sleep, so I feel feel like drawing a circle as you put it around that process might be useful for me. I just have really enjoyed your distinction between a repetitive behavior and a ritual, and it it just brings to mind uh, John Dewey, the philosopher, wrote a whole book basically about the difference between experience and an experience. And he did a whole lot of examination of the different qualities of experience and how some experiences have a sort of contiguousness and a sense of internal cohesion that you can call them an experience. They're kind of like a moment set aside from the regular flow of experience. And that just kind of came to mind when you were talking about the difference between ritual and repetition. And it just, yeah, that like a going to sleep one might be good because we we do it re- very regularly. How, do you, how would you do that? How would you help me do a ritual for going to sleep?
0: So if you go back to the container, if you start by thinking, okay, how do I know that it's begun? How do I know that the transition from my waking day to time for bed has begun. So you give it a very specific start point. So one thing I would recommend, turn off electronics um, and don't have a screen in your bedroom. That's the classic thing that we all do that bleeds our uh, day into our night in the blue light. That's just a purely physical thing. But if you turn off your phone or you t- shut down your computer or you shut down the TV and you have a pause, that could tell your subconscious and your conscious, that you are now changing gear into something else. So you give it a distinct beginning. You could put your phone in a special box that is that is there for that thing. You're not just turning it off and putting it in the other room. You're going, it is now time to sleep.
2: Phone coffin.
0: That's the beginning.
2: Okay, phone coffin phone is the coffin. beginning.
0: <laughs> no, seriously. And then also down to personal preference. So you have a list of sensory points that you could inquire into so what do I want to smell see feel eat seller saying chamomile tea is part of my getting ready for sleep ritual absolutely so if you go what am I going to taste probably not loads of food for example although you know midnight snack often is very important thing but Having a chamomile tea would be a taste that would tell your brain that you're going in that direction that is soporific in its content. You could light a candle or not. You could put on um, a guided meditation or some ambient sound or some white noise or nothing. You could have silence and just sit with a silence for a few seconds because we don't have much of that. And then the, so if you run through, what can I see? What can I hear? What can I taste? What can I smell? What can I touch? I personally have the sleep, Pillow spray from um, you. Uh, this works, which is absolutely brilliant. It's 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 called This Works as the name of the brand, and their pillow spray. Even if it doesn't actually work, my brain now associates a squirt of this stuff with it being time for bed. I also personally get enormous pleasure from really good quality pillowcases. So, like, spend the extra 25 quid on a fancy Egyptian cotton thing and know that as soon as you put your head down, which is now going to be fragrant with the this works. You've got all of these different sensory things that are telling you that this is something is happening. Hot water bottle, says Stella, also absolutely love a hot water bottle as long as it's not too hot because if it's too hot. And also keep Zeus the cat out of your bedroom may I suggest because at two o'clock in the morning he goes crazy (laughs) so there's also there's that but so what you do what you're doing is you're scanning you're running through what can I see what can I hear what can I smell what can I taste what can I touch and you're dealing with each of the am I alone is my partner going to be in sync with me do I need to make accommodations for their rhythms are we going to go to bed at the same time is there a period where you have to separate and one person's go? I'm going to one person's a night owl and the other's not the other thing is changing from using your phone as an alarm to having an actual alarm clock take literally forcing your body to get out of the routine of scrolling in bed yeah I do that so bad right <laughs> Of hours. You do. we all do. It's it's yeah, that right there. If you have the phone coffin, I'm
2: I'm going to get <laughs> you one.
0: Have...
2: Literal coffin. Get a phone coffin. Phone. Yeah. You,
0: you are.
1: You literally have behind you one of the dresses that your uh, husband Colton makes. I mean, you could make one of the most fantastic decorated coffins. Also, one thing that you were saying there is everything that you're doing. You are also running through like the intention behind it. I think that's one of the things which rituals allow us to do is that they start to retrain our brain to put attention on, like, what is meaningful to us. And and you start to, like, take these different moments and sort of show, oh, actually, what does this symbolise? Why is this important? The world desperately wants us to concentrate on what is important to it. Like, we're, we're getting so many messages. We've got so much, like money trying to change our minds and that these moments are like a stake in the ground to say, actually, this is important to me. This is going to be something which is that I'm going to concentrate on because the world desperately has got other sort of ideas for what to do with your attention.
0: Absolutely. I think it's, it's empowering to be able to create these experiences that have some sort of you have agency over your emotions your thoughts your environment even if you have to work within limitation you can't necessarily have the fancy pillow spray in the Egyptian cotton pillowcase if you're on the move or something but you can do something to delineate and to distinguish the the hectic constant stream of of attention grabbing crap all good stuff doesn't all have to be crap through to something where you have agency over what you are experiencing and how and how you are feeling and what you make it mean. So there's, I um, oh, was saying, so to, I will not risk my health trying to get Ella, our puppy out of our bed. Though no, well, you see, actually, Zeus obviously is in charge. So when he does decide at two o'clock in the morning that it is time to have a massive battle, he is in charge, and therefore we have a massive battle. But that's okay. I don't mind. He's in charge, so it's it's fine. But it, it there's a but there's a that's my choice. I don't have any, there's, it's fine. I can have a weird sleep pattern. I'm quite in sync with my cat. But there's something about making the choice to make this moment, even if it is only five minutes. I haven't actually done this, but I just had the idea yesterday. It could be an idea that does come into being, might not, which is to give people the tools to create a five-minute ritual. So, to go, what do you want to change? Like, where do you want to apply this five minutes in your day? Is it taking a break from work? Is it going from one task to another? Is it um, going from being physically still to being physically active? Is it going outside? Is it connecting with another human being? Is it connecting to yourself? Is it um, having a different relationship with technology? Is it appreciating more food? Is it any number of different things can be ritualized and go, okay, pick a thing and then here's the kit, like, here's your, fi- what are you going to hear? Okay, is there a track that means every time you hear that song, this tells you that you're going from this state to this state? I have some of those. I have I have playlists for different kinds of emotional shifts. Um, what do you need to, like, is it a double espresso and some nosebleed techno? Might be, right? No judgment. You might need to be going into a different zone that requires that kind of thing. Or is it Expansive ambient white noise with a chamomile tea. You know, you get to choose, and you can have loads of these during the course of the day. I also have it on walks. There are different walks that I do that have different kinds of ritual attached. So I have a gratitude walk, which um, there's a guide for it. If, if you sign up for my very infrequent updates, you get a little six minute video on how to do this. Essentially, it's about going for a walk, and for 20 minutes, set a timer, and while you're walking, Just list what you're grateful for out loud or to yourself, but nothing else. And when you're doing it, you can be grateful for, you can list what you're grateful for in the bigger experience of your life or what you're grateful for on the walk. I'm grateful for that excellent berry. I'm grateful for the fact that I can go for a walk. I'm grateful for my trainers. I'm grateful for this very strange little bit of street art that I've just seen. I'm grateful for the fact that you can do it with kids as well. That's the other thing. It's, it's, it's kid friendly, and it turns your 20 minute walk into a completely different you literally feel totally transformed at the end of it it doesn't it, it doesn't take long for you to get quite giddy with your own gratitude and that's a ritual that's not just a walk that's a ritual that allows you to shift your your experience your sense the thing
2: i'm loving about this and that i'm taking away from it is the importance of being more intentional about how we frame our experiences and just the the value and power of intentionality in living so that we're not just moving through zombie like through our lives but actually thinking what does this mean for me how could i make it mean more i really just love that shift in the way we're looking at our own experience i think it's very powerful thank you
0: it's such a pleasure and it goes on the back of starting with mindfulness, like we began this whole call with a moment of becoming present. It really helps if you come from a place of presence, but it adds, it bolts on a whole level of creativity and meaning making onto that foundational mindful space.
1: So I think what's really good about what you're talking about and certainly when I like working pe- with people is like some people are a bit uh might have heard the word mindfulness and be like oh, okay I've tried it a bit I've done it that it's just not really and we've got this idea of what mindfulness is and in fact that thing that you said of like going for a walk and listing things you're grateful for that will also get you into, uh, will change your experience. And that there's people who I've spoken to about like changing, like viewing the fact that they love to travel as, yeah, like it's a pilgrimage, treat it as such, like their hot bath, like, you know, well, look, there's a load of spiritual practices which are around like that feeling of uh, changing your temperature. And I believe, uh, is the uh, changing of uh, your uh, uh, temperature and of internal sensations. Very
2: impressive, Sanderson, Mm -hmm. with that learning, that wisdom.
1: Well, you don't get this uh, pretentious uh, cult triangle (laughs) for nothing. Uh, uh, You actually get it at the end of a uh, seven-part, £10,000 course, which is just (laughs) wonderful. Pretty much anything that you do and you enjoy doing has the potential to be ritualized because you're doing it, if it's your hobby, whatever it is, because it's chiming with something which is really deep and important. And we, because it's so often sold as a commodity, as a product, like we sort of trivialize it. And we, like, and, and in fact, like exactly what you're saying, we've got to sanctify it. We've got to go and say, this is super important, and then have fun. And we can just do whatever you like, just try it, give it a go, like whatever it might be, go and think something, jump on one foot, like dick around. It doesn't have to be so serious.
0: No, but it does, it it it, ca- it can be totally ridiculous and bonkers and daft. And if you want to also apply the same thing to difficult things like grief, like the vigils, like it all, that's the thing. It fit you part of the list of questions you run through, not just what can I see here taste, smell, but also what is the most important thing? What is the emotional meaning behind this thing? So you can go, today I need to get in touch with my uh, playful, creative, free thinker. Here's how I might do that. And then tomorrow I might need to correct connect with the collective grief around this situation that's going on. How do I do that? But the questions are basically the same. The content varies according to where you're at or what you need to do. It could be cleansing or eating or playing or or getting into the zone or it could be honoring grief it could be celebrating the death anniversary of somebody you love you know there's all sorts of things it basically the mechanism is applicable to anything because we are going to make things meaningful and this just gives you a way of turning those into experiences that you have agency over
1: well what a wonderful place to leave it TDH uh idea
2: abortion. Uh, <laughs> no, no 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 no
1: do sorry no did no. I get the name wrong? Okay, idea do not my bad. Uh we won't edit that out. <laughs> Uh, where can people go and get maximum maximum T.U. Uh, full full Fat Dahan?
0: Full Fat Dahan is available on, so my website is myname.com, T.U.Dahan.com, and on that website, on the homepage, there's actually a free Rituals for Self-Care class that I started to give away at the beginning of the pandemic that is 90 minutes. It includes eight different things, one of which is the shower one I mentioned, but it also comes with the Ritual Design Checklist that takes you through all of the questions that you want to use in any ritual design. So that's free. Free. And I mean it's ridiculous. And there's also the gratitude walk thing you can sign up for. And my Insta, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So my Instagram is Teudahan and then digit one. Those are the two main places I would say to find me. And there's a TED talk, there's tons of free content on my website. There's if you if you go on the explore tab. I, I was doing lots and lots of things for psychology. So there's tons of videos. There's loads of things. There's, there's masses of free stuff. And there's also paid courses. I'm also doing a seasonal four seasons thing where because we don't celebrate the seasons, right? And at New Year, we write maybe New Year's resolutions and then we forget all about them until the following January. So I offer a seasonal thing. You can join live or do it as a recording where you get to process what's happening and, make, and judge your year or create your year by moments. So it's all about all the different moments that define your experience as opposed to the goals or the metrics that we usually use to keep track of where we're at. It's like, anyway, I'll, yeah.
1: The, that is amazing. To you thank you so much. You are wonderful. I am so pleased that we were uh, able to get you on. And I just know people are going to love your wise, wise wisdomnessfulness.
0: Such a pleasure, That was Thompson. truly
2: wonderful. Thank you, to you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Really great convo.
0: Such a pleasure.
2: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the
1: Life on This Podcast. Don't know why I have to say that. You know what you're listening to. Uh, Yeah, uh, that uh, conversation with T.U. is now sort of uh, about 10 days old. It was quite weird. I Due to some... Uh, administrative cock-up thought that a different person was speaking and she was able to come in very quickly and I'm delighted that she did so wonderful to go and hear from her and learn from her Uh, but yeah generally things on the life on this project are going well at the moment I've got these two interns working uh, they're they're on a placement from university this is all uh, ethical and above board Uh, and then I'm actually going to have some more people who are going to join us as part of the government kickstart scheme in the UK. So there's going to be three people who are going to be influencers for good, uh, you know, positions which are hired by the government, uh, which will be great to have them. So they're going to be taking the ideas that we hear here and sort of go and spread them around, which is, uh, you yeah, know, which is really fun to think about that. Uh, right now, I'm in a room surrounded by boxes as... <laughs> Yeah, a moving house with all of the sort of attendant stresses that uh, that brings with it. Though it's also been a moment to sort of like reflect that it's pretty great that I'm able to move house and uh, you know bring the family along from doing this, from sort of uh, you know translating sort of spiritual ideas and ideas originally found in religious communities in a way that everyone can take part. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's an absolute privilege to be able to do that. Uh, God, this is a bit... Uh, sounds like an Oscar speech at the end of this. I'd like to, you know, just realize how blessed I am. But, you know, feeling blessed is part of uh, the vibe of this podcast. So I think it, it, it's totally okay to be uh, grateful to the point of being a lovey. And, frankly, I'm more grateful than any actor uh, who stood up in front of uh, an audience with an Oscar in their hands. Like, we should all... We're we're alive. We're alive humans. I'd just like to thank the universe. I'd like to thank DNA. I'd like to thank culture. I'd like to thank non-kin sharing. I'd like to thank vaccinations. And that would be the Oscar speech I'd love to hear. Just, like, really thanking, like, everything. Like, everything in the world which has able, enabled us to get here. So, uh yeah, I might do that as a sketch. Would it be good? Maybe it won't be. Uh, so look, uh, oh, one other thing. I would love to, you know, I'm doing a bit of a sort of outreach at the moment to go and speak to different uh, people who are part of the life on this community, podcast listeners, uh, people who follow us on social media, people who are have been on the newsletter and what have you. And so I would love to speak to you about what it is that, uh you would want how we could serve you and i mean this like a it's not a survey the conversation so uh yeah uh i would love it if you went and found the contact button on our site or emailed sanderson at life on this.io. and uh yeah then we can arrange a time to have a zoom call because i really want to find out like what it is the community wants. so that's it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to James Croft for being my excellent co host. Thanks to Mav Shetty for doing the editing. Thanks to Will Andrews for the artwork. And Roman Rapak and Miro Shot for the music that you're listening to right now. Goodbye. And yeah, I'm super grateful for you. Yeah, you. Bye.